Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Thank you for joining us, folks. This is John Grace and Daniel Medina on Fiscal Fitness. We're, we're so delighted that you could be with us this afternoon, and we want to talk about a number of things, but we're, what we'll do in this format, uh, just so that you have a sense of what we'll try to do every week, is talk about the market as an opening, look at how it closes towards the end. But really what we're trying to do is give people, you know, you, the audience, some perspective, uh, because so many of the, uh, you know, the news media, they look at the stocks at the high, the real estate's at the high, and we kind of get all excited without helping you see the real picture or the larger issues or both sides of the equation, because, of course, every story has two sides. So uh, Daniel Medina and I, John Grace, have been with Investors Advantage uh, myself since uh, we started it in 1979, where we have been helping one investor at a time since 1979. And we're pleased that our, our uh, trademark happens to be the proof is in the planning, which is really where we uh, feel that's the that's where all things begin. Okay, uh, so it, 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 it's instead of just throwing darts and seeing the account go up and you feel good about that, or seeing the account go down wherever you put the money and you're feeling like you should have done better than that, right? So you feel bad. Uh, it has nothing to do with intelligence. It has more to do with planning, and, and much of the planning is really math and time. So we want folks to see, you know, what account they need to have, how much money they need to have behind door number one so that they can make work optional on their time frame. We'll also help you understand if, the, if something happens, if there's a loss to a breadwinner, uh, you know, what does the survivor need to keep things going so that you might miss the breadwinner, but you don't miss their income? <laughs> that's, uh, that's kind of a joke, but it's, uh, you know, we're very serious about that. Because uh, we've been to too many uh, funerals where you can just see the distress on the family that not only are they missing the person very quickly, but they know they're immediate. They're in immediate danger. And I mean, within 30 days of uh, this uh, apple cart being upset because the same kind of income has just stopped, and now it's it's a whole new ball game. And then we also want folks to get a sense for if you have children or grandchildren. And there has to be, you know, planning for college. Well, how are you going to do that? Most folks don't have a plan. And in fact, I think the parents end up dancing to the music of, the, of their student children saying, well, you know, it took me five years of GE, so you get to keep paying for that. The folks that Daniel and I, Daniel's been here for 14 years now this month, uh, have, have seen the, the, the clients that have done the best are the ones who made up their own rules for their own house, Right. So instead of saying, well, I'll just keep paying all this money, the clients that have done the best have said in advance, here's the amount of money we're going to set aside for you, uh, or this is the goal that we intend to be responsible for. Anything beyond that, you're on your own. Those are the ones we think have done the, made the smartest moves. In fact, I have a, a good friend of mine <clears throat> where the son understands that it's one year of a four-year college. So it's not community college, and it's not four years you know, or for life. <laughs> At, at USC, it's one year at a four-year institution. And, and, and the son understands, that's it. That's all there is. He's not going to get more than that. And he's completely reconciled to that. So notice, this was a, uh, an establishment that mom and dad made when the child was very young. They've had a long time to make sure this child understands the rules of the game. So no one's disappointed in terms of who's going to be responsible for what. 
And we, uh, we would uh, want to make sure in terms of college planning that upon graduation, there can be a lot of tears, there can be a lot of happiness, but one of the things we've seen clients do is be the most happy when they recognize that uh, Junior and Missy finished without any debt for anyone in the family. So it takes some planning to do this work. And if you wait until the child is uh, senior or junior in high school, well, it's probably too late unless you have a whole a lot of money that you can, you can put it toward those kinds of uh, jobs that you're trying to accomplish. So a little background on us. Investors Advantage, as I say, has been around since uh, 1979. And we're part of a larger group, Elite Financial Network in Southern California. We're in Westlake Village, California. Uh, where we manage approximately $800 million uh, under management. So we've seen a lot, and this isn't our first time to the rodeo. And what I'm saying uh, as well is that one of the things that makes us unique as far as other financial advisors or wealth managers is that we've been paying up to $10,000 a year for independent research since 1999. And in fact, on our first show, Daniel and I were delighted that uh, Rodney Johnson, uh, president of HSDIT uh, Publishing, joined us to kind of help us see how to look at the economy based on what people are doing, as opposed to the facts or the data or the sales information that you get, which suggests that, you know, this is, this is going to go to the moon. Now, let's look at the, the, the lifestyle, the buying and the selling behavior of uh, ordinary Americans. And, and we used the example just to kind of set the stage that it's not that complicated, that's the good news, but most of us don't learn from history. We don't look back to see what the data is. We're just in the nanosecond trying to figure it out by the seat of our pants. So we can see a very interesting pattern, just to put it in perspective, that the age at which uh, most Americans consume the most potato chips in life is all of 14. And uh, the age at which most parents buy the most potato chips in life is around uh, 41, 42 for their average, guess what, 13, 14 year old at that particular time. So you thought you were doing something different. You thought you were unique and you are, but there seem to be some patterns that most of us don't recognize that help us get a sense for, well, geez, if, if we're a potato chip company and we've seen sales, for example, for the last five years continue to increase. And, and in fact, this was one of our case studies in, in the classes that we took. What would you expect the trustees or the board members to do. And in this case, a famous company in the Midwest decided to expand more plant, more equipment, more people, more debt. But what they did not bother to look at, these bright people with all this money and all these sales, remember how we, we look at the sales, we go, well, this is just going to continue for life. No one went to the Census Bureau to see for the zip codes that they serve, what number of 14-year-olds were showing up in those zip codes. And of course, it is the case that the number had begun to plateau and decline. So that family held business with one of the best potato chips in the country, uh, went through a lot of iterations, but ultimately it, it was a bankruptcy, it was bought out by another firm. But the, the, the family did not uh, perform at the same level, making guesses or making decisions on sales data, as opposed to looking at the, the, the primary fundamental issue, and that's age. And that's the difference in terms of looking at demographics, seeing what the age is relative to the buying behavior that often tells us a lot. So before we talk a little bit more about the market and what we see that's very interesting, uh, Daniel, please give us a, a sense for uh, why you're here and, and what you're, you're bringing to our table this, this afternoon. 
Well, thank you, John. And going on 14 years, God, time flies. Uh, my, I started, I graduated from college um, back in 2005 and started working in a toy company doing some project management and fortunate to find my way here and started on the admin side. And then I figured out that I had a propensity for planning. So that's what I really like to do is the numbers and the people that, that really draw me to the question of how are we going to get this done, whatever this is, whether it's retirement planning or insurance planning. To me, it's just, it's a puzzle. And there's all these pieces we can put in there to make it work. But the question is, how are we going to get you from where you are today, be it young and making money to where it is you want to be in 30 or 40 or 50 years living off of that money that you've accumulated or getting your kids through college or pre preventing a disaster like a, like a premature death, which is by far the, the single most devastating thing that can happen to a young family. And it's the most preventable. So it's, that's those are one of the things that we look at most for people because it's just so easily fixable and people just don't look at it the right way. They look at it as how much insurance do I want as opposed to how much, how much insurance do I need or how much can I afford as opposed to how much do I, do I need? And that's really the wrong question. Yeah, the, good point, Daniel. I mean, so many times, folks, we've seen uh, insurance agents and we are both licensed in, in life and disability insurance. In fact, my first license in the industry was 1978. But the typical question that insurance uh, uh, professionals ask is, what's your budget for your insurance? Well, <laughs> do you get that question when you go show up with your new car? What's your budget? <laughs> no, based on your driving history, that car and where you live, right? This is your payment at this company, unless you want to be self-insured. So um, what we're saying is it's more of a question of how much do the, 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 each survivor has to say, if you were to die, my other breadwinner, how much money do I need to keep things going if you, you didn't bring that income? Is it 100%? Is it 50%? But then once you know what that answer is, and you su supply yourself with the sufficient level of insurance, don't get lost in the type of insurance term whole life. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss this in the upcoming program, but it's really about the amount. So if it's, let's just make it simple. If you're looking at someone who either provides $40,000 of goods and services to the house, or maybe a non-working spouse, uh, or you are needing the income from that person making $40,000, the answer is the same. Using the 4% withdrawal rule, it means that you need $1 million on that person today. $1 million, 4%, that's $40,000. That's not uh, you know, the road to riches, but it also is not the road to the, to the poorhouse. So we'll, we'll come back to that. But let me bring you up to date in terms of what we're seeing uh, as far as the market is concerned, because it's so often that the news media talks about what happened in the day. And as we say, that's hard to get a, an understanding as far as the trend is concerned. I usually start with the Dow, but I'm gonna end with the Dow. And as of uh, 3.12 uh, p.m. Eastern time today, year to date, the NASDAQ is clearly the darling of the stock market. It's up 24.10%. Uh, so that's a, that's a remarkable number for uh, January 1 through uh, September 15th. Uh, as of, again, the market hasn't closed. We'll talk about it at the closing, but that's 24% year to date. The S&P is at 5.43% year-to-date for the time, same time frame. And then it gets more interesting. That's why I thought I would reverse this report this time, because when you're looking at fives and 24s and hearing about all of these stocks posting new highs and some of them being up 100%, 300%, 400%, it will skew your mind into thinking that that's what's happening for everybody everywhere. And it's not. And that's part of what we find so fascinating. There's a complete disconnect between 
Wall Street and Main Street in many regards, but the Dow is still in negative territory, minus 1.22%. So look at the extreme, a loss of 1.2 through today, beginning January 1, a gain with NASDAQ of over 24%, again, today from January 1. The, 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 a negative and a, and a very nice positive, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around what's really going on here. And that's why we're doing this, the, the work like this radio show, so that people can get a better sense for no matter what the markets do, whether they disappoint, as the Dow has so far, exceed expectations as far as the NASDAQ is concerned. The question is, how are you doing? What are you doing so that you not only survive, but you can enjoy uh, being in a thrive mode, right? Uh, we don't just want to get through it. We want to be better off from it. And uh, so many times I think we set ourselves up uh, that we might get through it or we don't. And then my greatest problem is regret, all right? If you look at some of these cases where it took 25, 40 years, maybe never for the account to come back, I, I worry that uh, people in those situations feel regret for the rest of their lives. And that's something that I would certainly not like to uh, play with or participate with. So we wanna make sure that people can see what, uh, what's going on and make intelligent decisions just to look at it from the standpoint of what's the worst case scenario? If that happened to me, would I be okay with that? Or what can I do to mitigate that kind of experience, reduce my loss experience if possible, and be able to survive whatever that hurricane might be called that I can't see until it shows up. So uh, one of the things that, that caught our attention uh, looking at uh, current events and, and, and the news today is what uh, uh, Vice President Biden uh, has in store as a presidential candidate from the standpoint of looking at the uh, 401k uh, and what individuals are doing relative to setting aside uh, funds in, in a different fashion. So I, I would, I would uh, begin with by saying that uh, we see that uh, uh, the uh, Biden's plan is sizable but not radical. So we think that's an encouragement uh, but Daniel, tell us more about what you see in terms of the uh, 401k provisions that might be changing if he were president. So looking at the, the proposals, and it's really just a change to traditional 401k contributions. And the attempt is to make everyone's tax benefit level. So today, when you're making contributions to a traditional 401k, that those contributions come right off the top of your income. So if you're making 200000 and you make a $10,000 contribution, you're not paying tax on $200,000. you are paying tax on 190000 So clearly, if you're making more money, you're going to be in a higher tax bracket. That income coming right off the top gives you a, a, a better tax benefit than if you were making 50000 for the same contribution, you still get a tax benefit, but your tax benefit isn't as, as impactful because you're in a lower tax bracket. So what this would do is level the tax benefit to a 20.5%, and that's a 20.5% deduction on your contributions. So for anyone, no matter how much income you made, whether it's 200,000 or, or 50,000, if you made a $10,000 contribution, in that format, you get a $2,050 deduction across the board. Great for people that are that are not in a 20% tax bracket, not so great for people that are in a higher tax bracket, right? Because that takes away part of their deduction. It's a, it's a noble attempt. And it's like like all things, there's, there's no perfect way to do it. But the conversation really shouldn't be about tax deductions. The conversation really should be about what everyone should be doing 
to actually to, to actually make contributions to their retirement accounts because that's what's going to sustain them through retirement, especially if they don't have a pension, which more, more and more people don't. And the question becomes, how much should they be contributing to their 401k? And for most people, it's really between 10 and 20%, 10% on the low end. Some people, it has to be higher than that. It really depends on when you started and what your goals are. And that's typically the first thing we do with our clients. We look at where, what their real goals are, probably, probably retirement at some point, how, and then how much it takes to get them to retirement and what contributions they need to make today and through the rest of their working career to actually get them to a point where their money can sustain their lifestyle. Yeah, and I, let me not be remiss, uh, but to uh, identify that we do have a great speaker who's going to talk about what's going on with real estate. That is Tilden Muschietti, uh, and he's uh, he's with us this afternoon, so we'll be getting to that. But look, getting back to this uh, this issue with uh, Biden's plan, it's uh, it, you know, let me give you an example. By the way, we do work at no cost to frontline workers for to do a financial plan. So if you're a frontline worker, you know of a frontline worker, you, you folks give so much, and I think we think you get back so little. So this is our way. We think in a meaningful fashion to be able to say, we'd like to support you the way you support us. So we're not in your space. We're certainly not trying to do the work we do. God bless you for doing that work. All of you, each and every one of you, you're so dedicated. We think it is our responsibility to say thank you in a meaningful way by helping you see in 90 minutes or so how much money you're going to need to become financially independent, how much money you're going to need in the event of a, of a loss, income loss of a breadwinner, and, and what about the kids in terms of college education. So one couple, for example, that we've had the pleasure of working with, they're both 35. They're making about $100,000, and to Daniel's point, what we help them see, they really have no savings so far, and I, and I believe there was no um, uh, pension that was expected. But you do want to look at what you can expect from Social Security. SSA.gov is the best source. And don't just look to see how soon you can receive Social Security. Also look to see what happens with... Uh, you know, waiting for to start Social Security. So that's something to consider because each year you do not start Social Security after which you are eligible. There is an 8% increase to your benefit. I'm not aware of anything else that works that way. But the goal was after accounting for Social Security that these folks would need $2.6 million to get the equivalent of $100,000 in today's dollars by putting aside, to Daniel's point, 15% or $15,000 a year over the next 35 years, they can see they'd be on track for having the goal that they want to achieve in two point, at $2.6 million at age 70. So we'll pick up from there. We're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit YB4.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's YB4.com or 805-495-2077. 
We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. It's uh, Fiscal Fitness with John Grace and Daniel Medina. And Daniel, real quick, tell uh, the audience how they could ask questions, because this would be a good time to do so, please. So you can ask us a question either on Twitter or on Facebook. On Facebook, we're at Investors Advantage, and on Twitter, we're at Money on Course. Beautiful. So now let's turn our attention to real estate, and we're delighted that uh, real estate attorney Tilden Muscati, uh, who's a specialist in this actual area, has joined us because he has some interesting information relative to how COVID is impacting real estate, uh, particularly residential real estate, uh, and also some of the law, the changes in the law that he sees that aren't all good news for real estate owners. In the meantime, we noticed that this is just today in Business Insider that U.S. home prices just had their largest jump in seven years, uh, their latest in a string of record highs. And what we're saying and, and what they're saying is if you're in the market to buy a house, be careful out there. We're going to help you see what we think could be around the corner, uh, because if you look at all of the information you're getting, uh, you, you, it's fear of missing out uh, and everybody's lining up to buy homes. Um, particularly in the suburbs, there will always be a market for real estate. But what people do not anticipate, they're, they're used to seeing the stock market go up and down. They are not used to seeing the real estate market going down without it fully recovering. And they've only seen it in their experience or their belief in a very short period of time. So we see that this could be problematic because whenever you put all of your hopes on one asset class, you better watch that one asset class very carefully. And when it comes to real estate, there's really not much in the way of hedging capability. So either you're in or you're out. But when we look at the good news that, uh, you know, rising prices and low inventory have created highly competitive markets for home buyers, especially first time home buyers, and um, we're seeing increases. In fact, uh, this is per Redfin, but uh, U.S. typical home prices jumped 13% year over year to an average of about $319,000 for the week period, four-week period ending September 26. That was the biggest percent jump in seven years since 2013. So all I'm hoping you see is uh, when people read this kind of information or we talk about this kind of information, we feel like I don't want to be left out and now's the time for me to get in or to get larger or, you know, but we're not expecting a decline in both prices and in rents 
to the extent that we are a, uh, you know, we, we have properties that we rent out. Uh, so let me give you a, a piece of the puzzle that comes from our research team. And I, I find this fascinating, as fascinating as I can share with you the data about buying, eating the most potato chips at 14 and buying the most potato chips at 42. So according to the U.S. Census Bureau, there are three ages that dictate or at least demonstrate what uh, Americans tend to do in terms of their buying and selling behavior. 31 is the age at which most Americans historically, these days it looks like it's more like 37, but 31 is the age, particularly for boomers, that uh, we stood in line to buy a house. And remember that's when interest rates were double digit, and yet the common conversation at the parties was, what did you buy? What are you in escrow for? How soon are you closing? Because this thing is just taking off. And, and remember that that's when interest rates were solidly double digit, 14, 15, 16% on the first, and the buyer might hold a second. Notice now we're at 3% money, and you couldn't have told one boomer uh, that they might see 3% money on a 30-year loan in their lifetime, and they would believe it. They would throw you out of their house because you're being ridiculous, and here we are. Only I noticed in the old days, notice that um, uh, boomers were standing in line to buy a house. Right now, we're not really seeing those lines. We're seeing a lot of demand, but you're not seeing the kind of home building that you saw where people were literally standing in line to buy a house when interest rates were so high. So we've been led to believe that uh, when it comes to uh, real estate, we, we're supposed to be looking at location, inventory, and interest rates. I'm gonna submit to you that it's more age-based than it is those factors. Those are important factors. I'm gonna to submit to you those aren't the primary driver. Again, it's age. So 31 is the age at which most of us bought the biggest house, or I'm sorry, the first house. 41 is the age at which most Americans, particularly again, boomers can check off that box number two of buying their largest house. And I believe from 1989 to 2000, according to Dent Research, the average size of a home was on half an acre to 10 acres in size. I can relate to that. That's when we all thought we were doing something unique, something very differently, had to have a 5,000 square foot house. And between 1989 and 2000, we were all doing exactly the same thing at exactly the same time. And that's when baby boomers lined up their McMansions. Well, where do we go from here? Is it really all about inventory? Is it really only about interest rates and location? Well, here we are. Uh, let's look at the, well, again, thanks to the Census Bureau, we can see that the average age that Americans move out of their homes is um, around 78. So if we look at boomers again, let's see, they've been, I would submit that the reason prices or the primary reason prices are at these nosebleed levels is because of 76 million people coming into this equation called these United States of America. I don't see that as happened anywhere else in history. I only see that as happened one time in the United States and I do not see it happening anywhere again. So if it is the case that we have to make room for 76 million people, please consider what might happen if it takes 20 years for 76 million people or 24% of the population to go to heaven. If that's the case, and, and the life expectancy, according to the CIA report I was just looking at this morning, by the way, Japan's like 85, our life expectancy has, has come down to 80. You know, we're, we're gonna come out of that house, but, but dyers, we think, will outpopulate buyers. And that's the problem. So if boomers were born 46 to 64, that means we're now, what, 55 to 74 or so, <clears throat> excuse me, we're maybe four years out from starting what I'm calling a silver tsunami 
of folks that are going to be moving and you know changing their residences. So there's could very well be a, um, uh, and it would appear is that there's just a whole lot of houses being sold at exactly the same time. If that's the case, then um, you know we at some point we've got supply and demand kicking into the equation. And if you've got 24% of the population evaporating, the same number of in inventory, it stands to reason in my logic that uh, we could see prices along with rents do what they have done before, decline and take a lot longer than we thought to recover. What what point do you want to make there, Daniel? So what do you what do you say when people talk about the the Gen Xers or millennials coming in to buy all those houses? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting question because the group is as as large as the boomers, but uh, they're spread out over a longer period of time. And notice that the boomers would stand in line to leave and drive an hour and a half to you know from the suburbs to the city or to wherever work was. And the millennials just don't have that inclination. Let's also understand that many millennials are still at home and not going to school. Well, their parents wouldn't have been able to get, get away with that, but that's the way it is for them. They, they were liking the, uh, the downtown areas. Now they may be migrating from downtown to the suburbs because of things like COVID-19. But it just noticed that, they're, that the boomers had to buy a house. It was a mandate, go to school, buy a house, get married, have kids. Boomers said, check box, two, one, two, three, four. Their children are going, uh, I don't know about any of those boxes. <laughs> I might want to be with someone and live with them. I do not need to marry them. I do not need to buy a house, and I do not need to have children. Certainly don't need a big house that requires a whole lot of maintenance. So that, that would be my, my first answer. But let's, let's turn it over to Tilden, because he's been studying this as well, and it might uh, relate to what he's seeing in terms of a quick overview, Tilden, and we'll ask you some questions about what you're seeing relative to the residential real estate market, please. Sure. So I think what's interesting about what you've just been talking about is five years ago, we were talking about the millennials and saying the millennials aren't interested in moving downtown. I mean, or moving away from downtown. They want to stay in the uh, they want to stay in those those major metropolitan areas and they don't want to come out to the suburbs. Then we started seeing them move out to the suburbs maybe a year or two ago. Um, and then um, as prices went up and up and up and up, what's interesting too is we're, we're actually now starting to see rents decline. So here uh, I'm in, L in Los Angeles and we just saw for the first time in a very long time, rents decline by over 5%. So uh, I think you have an overinflated housing market and uh, we have a market where apartment prices are falling um, and that has to do with some of the other topics that we'll talk about. Interesting. Okay. So now that we have uh, kind of a, uh, and feel free to call in with questions, folks, because this is, this is the kind of conversation you're not hearing. I, I love talking to my friends who are in real estate, and they say they've seen, they, they've seen everything. And I go, actually, no, uh, you know, I understand you've been in the business for 40 years, but the truth is you've seen the best of times. That's what you've seen. You've only seen prices go up. And let's understand what goes up does come down and sometimes violently. And in fact, 2008, 2009, 
where the declines were approximately 34 percent of you know decline across the country i have neighbors who uh you know one neighbor listed their house at 2.1 the other neighbor was thinking about it and by the way when it comes to uh real estate it seems that it takes about two years for us to process am i going to move but by the time these two attorneys who lived on their five acre parcel uh decided to to sell uh, to list and sell they got about a, a million dollars less in fact they got about exactly what they put into that property back in uh, early 2000. They were buying in that wave, early 2000. They got in just in time, but they got out of the bad time. The buyer did better. So this is part of what I'm saying. Let's look to see when it's appropriate to get in and when you might, in in fact, prefer to uh, keep your powder dry, not buy anything. (laughs) See how this unfolds, because if it is the case, as I believe it is worldwide, we are going to have an experience where prices come down, and I mean dramatically, uh, and it might not be those same areas that come back so quickly. And please keep in mind this little factoid that um, in Depression One, we saw the stock market, many people remember or recognize that the market might've declined about 85, 89% and took 25 years to get back to even but real estate in America at that time declined uh, in New York City, I should say, uh, 70% uh, and took four decades to get back to even. That's 40 years. And then keep in mind, that's why life expectancy is important to, we, we, it's so easy to forget, but uh, the life expectancy of an American in the, in the 1900s was mid-50s. So wait a minute, I had a million dollars in stocks and went to 108,000. It didn't come back in my lifetime. I had a million dollars in real estate. It went to 300,000, didn't come back in my lifetime. I have to imagine that's a perfect scenario for people to really live with regret for the rest of their lives. And the heirs don't care. It's not their money. Uh, They'll pick up wherever you left off. But when you got to a certain level, you think you're supposed to stay at that level and only march north. You, it's hard to reconcile that the prices could reverse from where they were and not come back in our lifetime. So, Tilden, give us a, an example, if you, if you will, in terms of this emotional attachment that people often give their real estate, either particularly for themselves and when it comes to like older loved ones, like the parents and the homestead. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we do a lot of estate planning as well, and so we set, tend to see it more on the on the what the heirs do with it. So uh, I can think of a few instances where we have a property that was inherited by the children, uh, and this is the the absolute. If you ask any real estate agent, they'll say, for this particular property, we're at the peak of the market. You need to get rid of this asset. Um, and some of the children are, are very anxious to sell the asset, and some of the children, no, this was a, this was the shining jewel. This was what mom and dad put everything into, and this was they were so proud of this property. At the end of the day, though, it's it, it's got to be a fiscal decision as well, because writing this da- writing this asset down in value doesn't help anybody. Uh, this is a great asset to train change move to a you know a real estate investor who knows what they're doing knows how to handle it and take it away and you see that with homes too it's like okay well we've got this home now what do we do with it um we either sell it or this may be a great place for me to move into it was the house i grew up in um but it's it really is a 
a money issue at the end of the day as well. Or it becomes an argument, right? We've seen situations where the parents are so proud that I'm going to leave this house to my sons. And then the the sons inherit the house. And what do they do? Spend the rest of their life arguing about what to do with the damn house. I mean, that's not what the parents had in mind. So let me speak to the parents for just a minute. We talk to your children all the time. And they're not going to tell you what I'm going to tell you right now. Because they're trying to be too polite. You want them to have whatever it is you want them to have. And guess what? They don't want it. They don't want any of it, including the house or the houses. They don't want the job. That was your job. I'll tell you what they will take, cash, baby. (laughs) And if you provide them with cash, what can they argue about? 50 here, 50% goes here, 50% goes there between the two sons. They can't argue over the damn house. So we just have some of these thoughts in mind under the best of intentions, and then reality shows up. And now these guys, uh, you know, they're, they're in court and not speaking. And they're the sons that were supposed to be able to enjoy this house, and neither one of them can enjoy the house. <laughs> one of the things we do for when we do an estate plan is we really talk to the talk to them and say, "What do you want really to happen to this property afterwards? Right. What do you really want? When when do you when do you think it's going to be the best time to sell? And how do you want?" the three people that are inheriting this property, what do you want them to be doing and how are they going to make the decision on selling uh, and help them make the right decision to set them up, to give the tools to their heirs on you know, what's going to happen? Well, that, that's important because the kids, look, are, they can't talk to the parents, right? <laughs> and, and, and the parents didn't leave any guidance. So now they have their own minds and it means we need to throw stuff at each other and have a fit over this stuff that the parents, and then, and then you have all this stuff in your house. And I, my neighbor right now, she says, I can barely get my car in the garage because I'm keeping so much of my mother's stuff that I don't know what to do with. Get rid of your stuff. <laughs> do with it what you want <laughs> and, and leave the kids whatever you want them to have in cash. Uh, maybe it's a business, as a different story perhaps, but you leave them these things so often where it just becomes an obligation and a job. It's not fun. And, and it, be, it, it certainly interferes or interrupts a, a relationship between the siblings. Uh, it causes uh, all kind of chaos. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm actually really curious about what you think the effects of this pandemic are going to be on real estate, whether it's residential or commercial. But I believe we're going to go to our break here. So let's pick that up after the break. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit ybpoor.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's ybpoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. John Grayson, Daniel Medina, Fiscal Fitness. We have the pleasure of uh, speaking with real estate attorney, that's his specialty, Tilden Muschietti, uh, who specializes in representing landlords and high net worth individuals and family offices. And I know Daniel wanted to ask uh, Tilden a question because apparently Tilden has a particularly interesting perspective of what is happening with real estate in the, in the, in the land of the pandemic and, and some of the changes in the law that are either underway or have just been put into, into play. So yeah, Tilden, what do you see going on with residential and commercial real estate, given everything that's going on today? How's it going to affect real estate in the near future? Let's talk about residential first. So, um, because it, I think it's been hurt in a in a kind of a unique way. Uh, as most people know, there have been a lot of uh, moratoriums been put in place on evictions. Uh, there have been some laws that have been enacted both on the state level and even the national level uh, that make it difficult to evict a uh, a tenant for not paying their rent. Uh, so you're a homeowner, you may be asking yourself, well, I'm not a tenant, how does that affect me? And it does, because a lot of the homes around you are uh, are probably occupied by tenants. Some of them uh, have tenants in place. And the person who may be who may be a good person to buy your property uh, when you when it comes time for you to sell your home may be a uh, a renter right now, and they're going to have to make a decision on paying that rent. You've just had a period of time where they haven't had to make a rent payment; they don't have a rent payment, uh, and um, they they do have money that's due at some point in the future. But it's uh, it doesn't make any sense for them necessarily to do that. I have a, a client who owns a building, owns a, a loft in uh, Santa Monica, and they're paying an their their rent that they charge is extreme. It's thirty five thousand dollars a month. Now the tenant is uh, very very wealthy and uh, very very wealthy, and they're not paying their rent. And when the landlord said, you've got to make your payment, I've got my mortgage due, I've got to make these payments, uh, the landlord, the tenant just said, no, I don't have to. Uh, they could, but they have absolutely no uh, reason to. Now, what that does is it drives that value of that property down. If you, if, uh, and so then all of the neighboring tenants or all the neighboring houses, it drives those down too. 
Uh, you've also seen major changes uh, in California here. We've had we have on the ballot two initiatives that are going to totally change things. You've got uh, changes coming in uh, in rent control, which which looks like it may be enacted. Uh, and rent control is going to make it more attractive to be a renter. So those people are less likely to buy. Uh, we've also probably got changes in our tax system and our property tax system, which will also make ownership just that much less attractive. Um, and then you have changes in the commercial uh, space as well, where tenants have uh, are have been severely impacted. Those people, those are the the people who can buy your houses. The workers are not able to occupy, uh, haven't been able to um, make any money. Uh, so we've we have a, a major situation that's coming that I I agree with John. We're not going to see the effects of it for a little while on just how bad it is uh, in real estate. Well, and that becomes that's part of what we're trying to say, folks. We want you as well as prepared as well as you can be for the good, the bad, and the unforeseen. That's the problem, right? I mean, I will uh, argue that if you and I wanted to jaywalk across the street, it's never the bus we see that could disrupt our day. It's typically the bus we did not see, we did not time, we did not name. And there it is upside your head. And if you're lucky, you get to peel yourself up off the pavement and get the license plate and <laughs> go to the hospital if that's what you need to do. But it's after the fact. And that's what I'm saying, that so many times we see people make decisions expecting it's happy days are here again and everything's just going to turn out fine and I get to retire with dignity and have all this money and then go to heaven. But sometimes between, sometime between now and heaven, the, something upsets the apple cart we did not see and things turn around in the reverse very, very, very fast. And that is typically not fun, particularly if you don't have the time with which to recover. So let me ask you this, Tilden. Uh, what do you think is the, is the best question for millennials to answer before they buy? Uh, I think it's that protection of their money pool. So they've got money, they've got money to make a down payment. Uh, is now really a good time? How do they see the market going in general? Uh, do, they, do they think the market's going to get better or... You know, are the terms that you can currently finance a house make sense? I mean, if you see a uh, if if housing prices drop and they're not and they're only if they drop by thirty percent and they put twenty percent down on their house, suddenly they're underwater, right? Suddenly their house is not worth what they put into it, um, so they owe more money than their house's value is. Um, well, and that's, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it, what we're saying is, look, uh, look around the corner. You decide it's, it's a personal decision. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Cleveland property prices drop 13%, but uh, uh, the coast could be more like 50%. And if it is the case, you just bought whatever it is you bought. And two months or two years later, you find that your down payment has just been washed down to the gutter. Uh, and now you're putting good money after bad in a depreciating asset. Would that be okay with you? If you say, hey, look, we're going to be here for another 40 years, we're going to sit tight, we don't care, we have some other assets, go with God. If, on the other hand, that would bother you, that's why I'm saying if that would bother you, but you have to decide in your heart of hearts how you feel about this situation, then you might want to keep your powder dry and see what happens to these prices. 
uh, and, and kind of watch it like a movie as opposed to get involved. And now you have to protect your, uh, your assets, right? Your equity. Now it becomes important to try and recover to that level. And, and most of that, if not all of it, is completely out of your control. <laughs> so now might not be the best time to belly up to the bar and put all your money down along with so many other people. Like I say, we all know everything goes up, does come down. And sometimes it's alarmingly fast. If that were to happen to you, would you be okay? If you're say yes, then like I say, go with God. If you say no, then you might want to uh, complain about the rent and keep your powder dry and make sure you've got whatever the equivalent is with the money that you can put to work so that you can live wherever you want to live once you get your last paycheck. On that note, Tilden, what would you say to boomers that are looking to get out of their house at some point? Good question. Uh, so a lot of boomers, uh, I would be looking mostly to asset protection and what their estate plan looks like um, and what their overall plan is, what what kind of legacy they're going to be looking at. Uh, I have some boomers that are taking this as an opportunity to actually buy property or at least prepare to buy property so that when the market corrects that they can come in and then start buying property. Um, they're counting on a market that will go down. Um, and I have a number of them that are, are ready to do that. Uh, and then the other part is that asset protection. Okay, so what the market goes down, how's that affect me? And how's that affect my life? And how does that affect what, uh, what, I, what I've been planning on doing for, for my legacy? Or what if I've been planning on, you know, what if, I was counting on this this asset being there, but what if I need that for some un unforeseen circumstance? Like I'm a doctor and I'm suddenly sued for malpractice. What do I need to do about that? Well, and part of the question becomes uh, so many of us, we have a disproportionate uh, amount of our uh, net worth tied up in a house. Okay, that, that's fine. It's just that uh, sometimes we have more there than any place else, or we don't have the income we need and the equities locked up in the house. So it may be an opportunity for the boomers to say, hey, this is this because I can get top dollar and, and we understand buy low, sell high when it comes to a stock. But when it comes to real estate, we just wanted to get higher and higher and higher. It's kind of called greed, isn't it? Uh, when it might be the case just to get your cash, put it on the sideline. You can decide what to do with it later but keep your opportunities open because you may see a bargain. It could be something different. It could be a business. It could be, you know, uh, another way to own something that you can ride the next wave as opposed to hoping that this wave keeps cresting all waves crest and then they come down. So let, let me, let me kind of give you a sense for what uh, Harry Dent had to say. We were, we were speaking recently and I, I, I observed that, you know, geez, we drink the same water. We breathe the same air. Uh, what can we see what's going on here relative to residential real estate? And, and Harry Dent, uh, uh, founder, president of Dent Research, our research team um, is around the country having this conversation. And by the way, he submits that most people don't want to hear it. We're all drinking the Kool-Aid. We're all wearing the rose-colored glasses. We just want this number to keep going higher and higher and higher, which means that might be good for the old rich people. But as far as the kids and the grandkids, when do they ever get to play? <laughs> we don't, what are we just trying to not, not let them play? They're only going to get to play when prices come to a level that looks interesting to them. But here's what Harry said. Chinese households will finally lose faith in their super overvalued empty condos, panicking and selling. 
no amount of money printing by the central banks will able to will be able to stop that nor will money money printing be able to stop the the tsunami this chinese real estate sell off will cause in real estate around the world starting in places like australia and singapore and spreading to the uk canada and the us as i said we're all drinking the same water we're already we're breathing the same air we used to fly the same airplane so we're all in this together and it's interesting that he's saying you know look for the first uh, break to occur in australia and then singapore but the uk will be included canada will be included they australia and canada seem to have been um more um resistant to declines it, it, he believes they're coming and and we're going to be on the on the list we just happen to be last on the list and then you know Tilden, you might have a, a comment here but when i want to identify what people can learn we talked about an l-shaped recovery with the great depression took 25 years for stocks to come back, 40 years for real estate to come back. We've seen something similar in Japan. Remember, late 1989, Japan was the crown of the universe. And lo and behold, the market peaked at 38,916, I believe, December 29, 1989. Last I looked, it was around 24,000. It has not recovered. A year later, their real estate market went down 70%. It has not recovered. Imagine owning something, real estate and stocks, that have not recovered in 30 years. I wonder if something like that could happen here. It absolutely could. And uh, I mean, the best thing that anybody could do is really consider what is that possibility? What, what am I going to do if that were to happen? Uh, and, and just know that that's a risk out there. It could happen and maybe it will, maybe it won't, but it's better to be ready and surprised about it being a very fast, great recovery. 100%. We, we all want that. It just might be something else. So folks, we're delighted you could join us. And Tilden Muschietti, please, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining us this afternoon and giving us uh, your insights about particularly what you see in the law changes on real estate that's right around the corner that will be showing up in a newspaper near us and how the uh, pandemic may uh, upset this apple cart in the space of looking at all this positive news about real estate. And then, of course, uh, I'm glad we had the time to share what we're seeing in terms of the demographics. 31, 41, 78 is the age at which we sell. 80 is the age at which we, on average, die. <laughs> One way or the other, we're coming out of that house, okay? Whether you come out on your own volition or you're carried, <laughs> you're coming out of that house. So we're, we are concerned that we could see uh, more dyers than buyers uh, in short order. I don't know how soon, but uh, we think that that's uh, that, going to be hard to avoid that experience. So we, we want to thank everybody for uh, joining us. Uh, Daniel Medina and John Grace here. We'll be back next week with uh, Fiscal Fitness. And uh, please make sure that if you have any comments or recommendations or questions you'd like to ask, uh, you can help drive the discussions here. And we'll bring in the best and, and the brightest like Tilden uh, Muschietti here, who will give us insight in terms of what that subject looks like and give us a balanced approach in terms of what bothers them, but what they're pleased with, as opposed to just showing one side of the card where, you know, happy days are here again and everything's going through the roof. So thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you uh, next Wednesday at 12 o'clock. Thank you for tuning to Fiscal Fitness. Please join John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an excellent week.